our work through the Sermon on the Mount, through this beautiful discipleship teachings of Jesus. And uh, this morning we're going to, my title is Spiritual in the Material World because I'm kind of a Madonna fan. I know that's not why, but I, I got to tell you, every time I read that title, I heard it. Didn't you? Because we are spiritual in the material world. All right, anyway. Uh, but I want to begin by playing a game this morning, uh, and it's a game called Is It Real? Okay? Um, there are prizes in the lobby. There aren't prizes in the lobby, but just play along with me for a moment. Have you ever seen that picture? Yeah? What do you think? Is that real? Is there in Scotland, somewhere beneath the water, a critter with a long neck? Or is that maybe a child's toy in a, in a wading pool, you know, <laughs> photographed in a grainy How about this? What is that? Bigfoot, that's right. You know, right now you can go see Smallfoot, you know, produced by Disney or somebody. You know, what do you think? Is that, you know, what I really liked is that when I searched for a photograph of Bigfoot, there were people who put this photograph up there, and they wanted to make sure we caught it. You know, so, oh, really? Because I was looking over here. Thank you, Internet person. I appreciate you calling my attention. What do you think? Is that a real critter? Is there somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains some hairy monster, maybe also over in Sierra Nevada mountains, some, some hairy creature, perhaps up in the Himalayas. Is there a Yeti? Is that a real thing? What do you think? Well, I'm getting a strong no. Uh, what do you think about this? Have you ever heard of this? This is called the Jersey Devil. Have you ever heard of the Jersey Devil? We had one when I was a kid. Uh, hard to keep it potty trained, but uh, it was so cute. You know, every once in a while it would eat a neighbor. Um, but only the irritating ones. So it, have you ever heard of the Jersey Devil? Have you even heard of that thing? Oh, you're not up in your cryptozoology. you got to keep up with me here. You know, I wanted to, I didn't have it, but I wanted to put in a, a shot of a UFO. Um, do you know how many Americans believe in UFOs? I don't either, but it's a lot. What about this? Is that a real thing? Ghosts? This I did look up. About 45% of Americans of a survey of 1,000 people, so it's a pretty good representative sample. About 45% of Americans believe in ghosts, which is less than a majority, but it's still kind of a surprising number given how kind of naturalistic our, our worldview has gone and how non-spiritual, you know, Americans tend to be privately spiritual but worldview secular. You know, my own personal spirit is a real thing, but, other, but in the world around me, not so much. But about 45% of Americans believe in those things, and about a third believe they could hurt you. About, about a third of Americans would be willing to live in a haunted house. Only about a third. 48% said, never. I am not living in a house with a haunted reputation. And if my realtor sells me a house and then I found out... You know, because I open the shower and there's a ghost in there, I'm going to have words with my realtor. Yeah, it, I made that part up. But uh, most Americans don't believe, but there are some that have a really strong conviction about this. How about that thing right there? Which I think actually is probably the best artist representation of an angel that I've ever seen. Is that real? What do you think? 
or maybe their fallen counterparts. Are those real things? If so, do we ever run into them? Have any interaction with them? Fallen angels? What about demons? Are those real? Are they real the same way that ghosts are real? How about this place? Or, you know, I mean, that's not actually a photograph of heaven. That is an artist's representation, just to be clear. But what do you think? Is that real? Many of us have bet our life on it, right? Is that a real place? Did you notice that the, the, the things that we were talking about had a subtle shift at some point during the list? Did you notice that? Well, what do you believe about what you can't see? Because there are a lot of us, there are a lot of Americans for whom the concept of angel and the concept of Bigfoot are really not all that different. Fools believe in them. Wise people don't. You know, and, and if you can't see it or taste it or touch it, why would you believe in it? So the, the big question comes, what is real? Because you understand that your answer to that question is going to have a fairly significant impact on the life that you live. You understand that? That's why we've been coming again and again and again. The life that we live, we've been coming again and again to sit down on the mountainside with Jesus and listen to His mountainside teachings. That mountain so far away that overlooks that sea that He spent so much of His life around. With those fishermen, well, this mountain looks down on that. And He sat down there and He taught His disciples and the multitudes that would listen to them, to Him. And He taught them what is God's life like? The life of the person of God. What kind of life are they going to have? He spent a good deal of time unpacking the law of God. As the great King, the Messiah, God's King, He is the proper interpreter of the law. He's the one who's supposed to know it inside out, to have his own handwritten copy of it. And he's the one who's supposed to teach it. Well, he interpreted the law unlike anyone before him ever had. This wonderful, beautiful way of reading the law that isn't about what you are on the outside, but who you are within. And that the law is about the kind of of heart and character that you have. And it's meant to shape that and lead you into God's will. And the way of life put in front of us, I mean, just take any of the ways that he interpreted the law. The love of the enemy, for instance. Wouldn't it be great to be that person? He's able to look at somebody who sees the world completely different than you and hates you when you express your opinion, and is cruel to you when you express your ideas, to continue to love and be gracious to them, wouldn't it be great to have those capacities? That's a heart change, though. That that calls for something inside of us to be a particular way. And His read of the law is leading us to have that kind of heart. And the next place He went is into spiritual disciplines. We looked at the three that the Pharisees cared so much about, and he chose to enter onto their playing ground and kind of talk about spiritual discipline from their perspective. But he's really doing a a way of being spiritual that looks at all activity that we do to be with God. And he's saying, be authentically with God. Truly be with Him. The next place that he goes, the place that we're looking at this morning, has to do with the... Question, well, why would I do any of that anyway? 
Why would I live this really hard life you've put in front of me? Because let's face it, control of lust is hard. Love of your enemy is difficult. Forgiveness is not an enjoyable practice. So why would I do those things? Why have the religious life? And why engage in spiritual discipline? Why would I pray? Why would anybody? Well, the answer to those questions goes entirely to what you believe is real and what you really believe is real. Because there's a way of believing in Bigfoot that doesn't really matter, right? You know, Bigfoot isn't going to make any real impact on my life. And I can, I can go, well, you know, maybe. Maybe there is some critter that's out there. That's fascinating. I choose to believe in it. But at the end of that little thought process, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to live my life the way that I live my life. You know, I'm going to watch the TV programs that I watch. And Bigfoot isn't going to matter. Is my belief in God like my belief in Bigfoot? You know, an unseen thing that I can't interact. What's real? Because that to which I ascribe ultimate reality will shape my heart and my mind. What I really believe to be real. What is most real? What is most important and most significant? What is it that tells me what life is about? Those are the things that, that are going to drive everything about me. How I face hardship. How, why on earth would anybody pray? Well, what do you believe is real? How am I going to deal with victory? What do I do with my surplus money? What do I... <laughs> If you have any of that. You know, and what, who, who am I? All of that's shaped by what you believe to really be real. And that's what Jesus begins to do next. Having talked about spirituality and spiritual engagement, he then is going to shift into, okay, well, how do I integrate that spiritual belief system and the world that I'm a part of? There is, there is the truths of God that are intangible, untouchable. I can't see Him, smell Him. You know, unless he chooses to let me hear him, I can't force myself to. And this world that's filled with things that hurt when you hit them a little too hard. How do I put all that together? That's where Jesus moves next. Because the answers to what do you believe is really real are going to shape just how you engage or whether you engage in spiritual discipline at all. And whether you engage in spiritual discipline at all is going to shape your heart. The kind of person you become the stakes are very high. So, Jesus begins this way. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. There are things that cannot be taken from you. I'll tell you something, folks. This world that we live in is a sad world. Have you ever been robbed? Have you ever had anything stolen from you? I came home from work one day and uh, opened, up my, opened up the door to my house. And as I was opening it, I was like, that window used to be there. you know. And, and I'm looking, it's all over the floor in our kitchen. My roommate had you know, just moved a bunch of his stuff in. And he just moved a bunch of his grandfather's guns into his, uh, into his closet. And he'd had help doing it. And uh, there on the ground is a cheap uh, holster that the thieves had decided not to steal. 
I'll tell you what, when you walk into a house where there's been a thief, that is very uncomfortable, especially when you see a holster on the ground and you're like, oh, what they're taking is guns, which means I'm dealing with armed thieves. Uh, I think I'll leave now. So, but it's a very violating feeling. Have you ever been there? I tell you, the world we live in is so awful. I was downtown uh, just uh, this last week or maybe the week before, and uh, I saw in broad daylight. Have you ever seen a hubcap thief? In broad daylight. Look at this. I, I took a picture. I was horrified. Broad daylight. And look at how bold he is. He's like, look what I did. I couldn't believe it, you know. That was a lot funnier in my head, I tell you. Do you have any idea how hard I worked for that? I actually took that picture. Anyway, I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> you know, the, thing of the, matter, the fact of the matter is, though, the treasures that we have here, it doesn't matter. Have you ever, have you ever done that, that moment where you take out the sweater that you've stored for the winter and you put it on, and you're like, it's your favorite sweater. It's the one that keeps you warm and toasty, and you're like, oh, man. I remember when I had this. This used to be mine, and now it's rags. It doesn't matter what treasure you have. And that's a gorgeous car, isn't it? There's one a little bit like this out in Mills River where I live. It's a beautiful car. But, you know, and right now, it's in the hands of somebody who cares for it and takes care of it, right? But you let the calendar roll on long enough, and that is going to look like that. And it's just going to. Now, it's a precious heirloom. People might take really good care of it, and they might work really hard, but eventually it'll find its hands and way into the hands of somebody that it's not all that important to. And, uh, you know, if I begin to dance and jitter, somebody come stick a wallet in my mouth, all right? Uh, it's going to look like that. The nicest house. You could get the nicest house, the most beautiful house, right? Get your hands on a wonderful place to live and think, man, we're really, man, we're living now. Someday it will look like that. And let's say all, of the, all the treasures that you have, you kept them all pristine your whole life because you were a great caretaker. Well, someday, you're going to own one of those. Moth, rust, thief. What you've got there is the chaos of the broken world represented by the moth, the decay of the broken world represented by rust, and the injustice of the broken world represented by the thief. And death is the ultimate representative of all of them because it takes everything you've got. I don't care how precious the thing you have. You got an heirloom ring, belonged to your great, 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 great grandmother. You won't have it in heaven. You won't. Why do people invest so heavily in things that they cannot keep? We can't keep them. You can't take it with you. And people will make their whole lives about being the person with the nicest stuff. Like the person with the great stuff doesn't win, they die. The person who dies with the nicest toys is still dead. There are treasures that are better than those. And I don't think it's bad to have a nice thing. I don't think that's Jesus' point. You know, celebrate in the, in the joy of God's creation. And it can be beautiful and wonderful to feast. It can be nice to have a nice thing or a nice place to live or a good car. Great. Glad you've got them. But you aren't that thing. Don't fall for it. And that thing isn't really real the same way. It is real. It's part of creation. It could even be redeemed. 
But if it owns you and tells you who you are, then it's in the wrong place in your heart. And it will kill you. There are better treasures. So what are the treasures of heaven? Well, what is it that you take with you from this world? What is it that's waiting for you that you stockpile to be waiting in the next world? What is that? Well, it's the person you are. It's the heart that you've got. And the treasures of heaven maybe look something like this. The ability to be truly and entirely compassionate to a hurting person. To have the heart inclined towards compassion. Wouldn't that be great to be that person? Or the ability to forgive every wound. Anything that you take, that you could forgive it. Can you imagine being that person without any resentment? Or complete and perfect honesty that pursues truth, even if it's truth you don't like. Even if it's truth that costs you. Because what you're dedicated to is truth. And you're going to tell it when it's there. Even if it hurts you. You imagine being the kind of person who stands up for truth? Always? You know, that doesn't cherry-pick data to get the way things that you want it to be, but that says, this is what I see, this is what I think is real. I could be wrong, but I'm going to tell the truth. Or, what about loving your enemies? To be able to love people on the other side of the argument and be good to them. You know, to actually cherish people unlike yourself. That takes a particular kind of heart, doesn't it? Those are heavenly treasures. Because the things that we take with us from this world to the next, I honestly don't know what kind of tangible things are waiting for us in the next world. I suspect there are some, and I suspect they'll be beautiful. I even think heaven's going to have an economy, per my personal private belief. Ways that some people have more than others, so that the people with more can be good to the people who have nothing. I anticipate that. That love will govern everything in heaven, and that there be. But I don't know that. You know, those are guesses based on scripture. But I know this stuff: that what you take with you for sure from this world to the next is your heart, your nature, your character. And if you believe that this world is all there is, you won't shape it rightly, because you'll shape it around this world. Even if you believe there's another world, but it's not all that important to you, you're going to miss it. Treasures that you could have, you will not accrue because you won't have made your life have the right priorities. This world and its stuff will fill you up with fear. It will fill you up with anger. It will fill you up with hate. The richest people in the world are afraid they're going to lose it. The most powerful people in the world hate their enemies. Do you really want what this world's treasures give you? Because this world's treasures are poverty of the heart. There are better things. Earth holds no treasures but perish with using. You saying that, that means the stuff that's here wears out. How many of us have bodies that prove the truth of that? There's nothing we have here that lasts. So make your life about here, and what will it do to your heart? Well, he tells us where your heart, where your treasure is, is where you find your heart. 
So what you think is most valuable, what you think is most important, that's going to make you who you are. He's saying, treasures in heaven make for good people on earth. It's going to make for a heavenly heart. Have a heavenly heart. The next thing he says is that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he talking about? Uh, Eyes and flashlights and all that. What is is he getting into? Well, one modern read of this, and I'll go, well, okay, you know, is, is what are you doing with your computer, for instance? What are you setting your eyes on? You know, it used to be that to engage with pornography, you had to go buy pornography. And shame kept a lot of people away from it. The pornography shop is now Google. It's in everybody's home. And if you set your eyes on things that corrupt your soul, you are corrupting your soul. Don't do that. But I will tell, and while I believe that is entirely true, and Jesus actually would go, yeah, to that, I don't think that's what he's talking about. When he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body or the eye becoming darkness, He's engaging with a cultural reality very common in the first century called, have you ever heard of the evil eye? Okay, so the evil eye basically is an eye that is filled up with envy. Okay, it, that's what generates the evil eye. When, uh, in the ancient world, if a, if a young mother had a child and there was another woman who had miscarried or lost her baby or had a child die, She doesn't want that woman looking at her child. Because the evil eye is not something that, you know, you do by gypsy curse, where you stare at somebody and, bing, make it happen to them. The evil eye is something involuntary that comes from an envious heart. And in the ancient world, they believed that that curses could flow out of an eye, that you could be filled with darkness. Now, is is he saying that the evil eye is a reality? I don't think so. I think he's engaging with them where they are. But he is saying that envy is a reality. From what does envy rise? Well, envy comes about when you don't like what you got and you wish you had what somebody else has. Right? I mean, look at that kid. He is clearly suffering. All he's got is a rocket pop. And look at how big hers is. It's just not fair. Life is not fair, kiddo. It's just not, you know. But he's filled up. Can't you see it? Isn't it beautiful? It's kind of cute on a kid. It's not as cute in an adult. But we do the same stuff, don't we? The good that I've got, I mean, he is currently tasting something wonderfully sweet, but he wishes he had the other person's. The good that I've got is unsatisfactory. I wish I had someone else's good life. I look at somebody else's financial standing, or I look at somebody else's uh, you know, family life, or I, I look at somebody else, what, whatever it is that you wish you had, health, status, and, and I, I wish that I had that, not what I've got. It's not fair. The heart that is doing that is taking this world entirely too seriously. There are things waiting for us that this world cannot offer. But the heart that fills up with envy goes not only... If, if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. That kid is probably thinking about going, <laughs> you know? 
not fair, man. You know? That's a bad heart. The eye that looks at the world around and says, I want, I crave, I need, and does nothing to control that is a heart that's filling you up with darkness. And if your undisciplined eye is constantly doing that, you're a dark person inside. And people who encounter you are going to have to put up with you. Jesus is saying the real world isn't filled with envy because the real world is the world of God. And the world that is able to look at what you've got and what somebody else has got with God's perspective might look at that other person and go, you know what? God didn't give them that. They hoarded that. And if they hoarded that, I don't want it. I don't want to be a part of sin. Thank you, God, for what I have, even if it's suffering, because you're with me in it. I don't envy anybody else their status or their stuff. That's that's what God leads us to. And that's the eye that's healthy. It's set on the next world, not this one. The last thing he says is no one can serve two lords. Greek word is kurios. It's often translated master, but it's the word that Jesus uses for himself. No one can serve two lords. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and have disdain for the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't do it. And what's he talking about here? Because money just came up out of nowhere, didn't it? You know, because I could have two lords, I could have my church and my job or something. No, he's saying, what kind of heart do you have oriented? What is it that's really real? Is it real? Is that real? Well, it's not like Bigfoot, is it? You know what? You know, it's very interesting. If you'd go, go back like several years, I don't actually know when we got off the standard, but if you go back several years, that thing had greater reality than it has now because you could take a piece of paper into a bank and set it down and say, I want my gold. You know what sits underneath that? Nothing but good faith. So everybody just agrees that that thing is worth $100 or $10,000. It isn't actually real, folks. All we have to do is have one EMP and we'll find out how much good that is. It immediately becomes firewood. it's, It's not really real, but people give up their whole lives chasing it. You realize what a lousy God money is? It's terrible. Because it makes you feel insecure. It makes you feel hatred for other people because they want to take it from you. I've I've met people who actually hate their descendants, their offspring, because of their money. That's insanity. It is spirit, but that's what this God will do to you. It is a terrible, horrible God. But my question was, is it real? Is it real the same way that that is? The God that met us through the burning bush... The God that met us in the cross and in the empty tomb. Those are all stories. I can't spend stories. Yeah, but I'm going to spend eternity because of those stories. Is it real? Because what you believe about the question will set the kind of course you live. And folks, you're going to die. At the end, no matter how much money you had in the bank, you're just as dead as a pauper. But the heart you take with you from this world, now that lasts forever. 
Why do we invest so heavily, so much energy in that which we cannot keep at the cost of that which we cannot lose? Only a fool would do that. Only a fool. And Jesus confronts our foolishness and says, what is really real to you? What do you truly believe? Folks, the reason He's doing this is because Jesus wants His disciples to become good. And one key to becoming a good person in this world is to set your heart truly into the other. The person who sets their heart into the other world doesn't miss this world. They get both. Because a heart set into God is arranged in this world so it's filled with goodness and justice and love and peace. You get a good life here by living fully for there. But the person who sets their heart only in this world misses them both because you have a wretched life here and you miss out on there. Don't be that. Don't do that. The path to goodness is to take God more seriously than anything else. Than anything else, and that's what he's saying. A spirituality that takes the spiritual world seriously will do literally everything differently. I mean literally everything. How do you go about your work life? Well, if this is all there is, you better take advantage of every opportunity, meaning take advantage of every customer and every person. But if your heart is set in the next world, you won't do immoral and ethical things. Why not? Because it's not worth the cost to my heart and my soul, which is eternal. I'm not going to do that even if I could get away with it, because I'll never get away with who I am. It does everything differently. You know, ethics, marriage and relationship, everything is different if your heart is in the next world. And then finally, Jesus is leading us into a goodness that can never be taken away. It can never be taken away. My friend's guns are gone. No idea where those things ended up. They were family heirlooms things that were precious to him, they're gone. Everything in this world can be taken from you. Everything can. And ultimately, it will be because you're going to be put in a box and buried in the ground. And if you make your life about the stuff of this world, you missed it. But there is a goodness that cannot be taken away because it's not something we have, it's something we are. And that's what Jesus Christ leads us to. And the wise person knows how to set their priorities such that they become that rather than have that. You could be absolutely poor and destitute and be rich in heaven's measurements. That's worth it. You could be incredibly rich. If you're poor by heaven's measuring tools, it's not worth it. It's the eye that sees the true treasures that is healthy, sound and whole and the heart that longs after God that is actually storing up treasure. How are you doing with this? How are we doing? As I look into my own heart, I hear Jesus' call and I know every time I hear it, i got to realign. It is so easy to slide away from these spiritual commitments, isn't it? We need His constant call. But sometimes we're like, man, I'm really far away. And if you need the prayers of the saints because of where you've landed about this stuff, let's pray for you. This is praying church. We want to do that. It may be that you're carrying a heavy burden. There's something really heavy on you. And it was heavy when you walked in here, and nothing I've said has touched it. Well, that's, we'll pray. 
We want to pray for you. doesn't have to be cogent to the message. Come, let us pray for you. And if you're not following Jesus Christ our Lord just yet, <laughs> start today. There's no better day than today to start following this man. Isn't he great? He's just a beautiful man. He leads you into life eternal. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come up here while we stand and sing?